Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Out front next, the breaking news. New flares over Gaza as Israel launches its biggest air assault on the Strip since the start of the war. Israeli forces also now coming face-to-face with Hamas fighters. Plus fears of a second war growing at this hour. CNN witnessing more rockets entering Israel from Lebanon tonight. As CNN learns, Hezbollah is about to get a Russian missile system added to its already massive arsenal. And an out-front exclusive this hour, the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen on why the House's just-passed aid package for Israel is bad for the United States. Let's go out front. And good evening, I'm Erin Burnett. Out front tonight, the breaking news. We are seeing new flares right now over the Gaza Strip. Uh, what you're looking at took place just moments ago as part of a dangerous new phase in the war between Israel and Hamas. And rockets have been raining down on Gaza over these past few hours as flares have lit up the night sky. You can see what happened not long ago in the nighttime in uh, Gaza City. It is the biggest aerial attack we've seen since the October 7th terror attacks by Hamas. Israeli officials telling CNN that the area now being, being targeted, they say, is a Hamas stronghold. The smoke screen that you see covering the ground suggests that Israeli troops are on the move or maybe on the move, that that screen would be obviously to mask their movements. That's according to our Nick Robertson, who, of course, is along that Gaza border. And a spokesperson for Israel's military says they have now encircled Gaza City. Now, if that is indeed the case, if the IDF surrounds Gaza City, it means that Israel has completely cut off northern Gaza from the rest of the 25-mile-long strip. Nothing can get in and no one can get out. Israel's military chief of staff says that Israeli troops are right now engaged in, quote, face-to-face battles with Hamas. That's that hand-to-hand street fighting. And that they are now inside important Hamas facilities that are both above and below ground, which is a seeming reference to IDF forces perhaps being inside Hamas's massive tunnel system, where, of course, we understand command centers are there, Hamas fighters and hostages. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu adding, quote, we are making progress. Nothing will stop us. Hamas, however, is fighting back. During the massive air assault, Hamas fired rockets back at Israel. The Iron Dome did appear to have thwarted those specific attacks. But tonight's fighting comes as there are growing fears of a second war, this one along Israel's northern border, against a much better armed and trained foe. Our Jim Sudo reporting tonight that there's been a definite pickup in the pace of rocket fire from Lebanon into Israel. We have so much to get to tonight. Nick Robertson and Jeremy Diamond are both live along that Israel-Gaza border. Jim Shudo is in northern Israel. Nick, let me begin with you, though, because you have seen these flares, seen this smoke screen, seen this activity uh, behind you, uh, just very close to where you are. Tell us more. Yeah, right now we're seeing what looks like a tank fire going across the horizon behind us. You might see these red traces that go across uh, low, across 
close to the ground. This has been part of what we've been witnessing here over the past few hours. We hear heavy machine gun fire. And these flares that are being dropped right now, perhaps you can hear that detonation behind me. The flares that are coming down right now appear a little further away than they were earlier on, perhaps around the town of Baitla here. The heavy, heavy flares that were dropping a couple of hours ago, sustained flares illuminating the sky brightly for about half an hour. That was around Beit Hanun. And not only were these flares illuminating the sky, but the ground underneath was this dense smoke, the sort of smoke that the military often uses to maneuver troops so they can keep them out of danger. So it would stop Hamas, for example, being able to see them. Hamas has been using um, armor-piercing rocket, shoulder-launched rocket-propelled grenades at tanks and at armored fighting vehicles full of infantry. So it is a very dangerous environment for, for, the, for the IDF forces on the ground there. And it does appear as if they're tightening, tightening their encirclement of Beit Hanun, which has received multiple, multiple missile strikes and, and artillery strikes over the past couple of weeks, potentially going into the, into the town itself. We don't have those details from the IDF, but we do know across the whole Gaza Strip, in over the past few weeks, more than 9,000 civilians have been caught up and killed in these heavy strikes, more than 22,000 injured, according to the Hamas-led Palestinian Ministry of Health. So it is not only dangerous tonight for the IDF forces, it is also dangerous for the civilians down there as this military campaign by the IDF to close in on Hamas's strongholds, root them out of their tunnels, as it gains traction. This is what we're witnessing tonight, Aaron. All right. Nick Robertson, thank you very much uh, to see a sky lit up like that uh, at night in red and to know uh, that there are people, of course, beneath those flares dying. I want to go to Jeremy Diamond in Ashkelon, north of Gaza. Uh, Jeremy, obviously, when we talk about the north, uh, if, if indeed that Israeli troops have, have encircled Gaza City, that would, of course, mean the north is truly cut off now. Uh, from the rest of the Strip. And you have been witnessing an uptick in fighting uh, in the northern parts of Gaza, of course, uh, adjacent to Eshkelon. Uh, yeah, no doubt about it, Aaron. Earlier today, before we saw these flares and this clear uptick in a ground operation around the city of Beit Hanun, earlier today, already the fighting had grown more intense in that part of the Gaza Strip. We were uh, not far from Nick's position earlier today watching as there were mortar, uh, mortar shells that appeared to be fired inside of Gaza. We also heard uh, the steady thud of artillery fire there, but also uh, an intensity of uh, small arms fire and intense gun battles ongoing between Hamas militants and Israeli forces in that area, more intense than we had heard in recent days. And all of this is very interesting, particularly as you consider the context of Israeli officials officials saying tonight that they have encircled Gaza City. Uh, they may have encircled it, as they say, having uh, various positions uh, around Gaza City and in the city itself. But yeah. clearly, they have not cleared the way in the northern part uh, above Gaza City, between the border with Israel and Gaza City. Clearly, there is still very intense fighting there. And so regardless of whether or not they have encircled it, 
clearly Hamas fighters remain uh, up north of Gaza City, and there is still very intense fighting there. You know, as I've been trying to get a better sense from Israeli officials about what this encirclement actually means and what the next steps, next phases of this military uh, ground assault will be, uh, they've been very cautious this evening to characterize what those next steps will be. Will this be a siege of Gaza City? Will Israeli forces actually go in and engage in the very intense and perhaps even bloody and deadly uh, business of urban uh, fighting inside those densely populated areas of Gaza City, they yeah. simply won't say. What they are telling me tonight, Aaron, is that they will do whatever it takes to achieve the aims of this war, which, as you've heard from the Israeli Prime Minister and other officials, is to eliminate Hamas's capabilities inside the Gaza Strip and to remove it from power. All right, Jeremy, thank you very much. And I want to go now to General Joseph Vatel, former U.S. CENTCOM commander. He oversaw military operations in the Middle East uh, through 2019. And Lieutenant General Ben Hodges, former commanding general of U.S. Army Europe. So I appreciate both of you being with us. General Vatel, let me start with you. Uh, this major aerial assault that we saw tonight with all of those flares, 30 minutes of nonstop rocket fire and explosions bombarding Gaza. And this came right after the IDF said that its troops had fully encircled Gaza City itself. And you saw that smoke, uh, low smoke, as Nick Robertson described, is possibly uh, being used to disguise Israeli troop movements. What do you think is happening right now inside Gaza City? Yeah, thanks, Aaron. It's great to be with you. I think I think what's happening here is, is Israel, is, as they've stated, is, has closed in around the city, is trying to... Uh, create the best positions of advantage that they can for what will come next, which will be actual operations into into Gaza City. So it's, it's likely that they made contact with Hamas forces on the outskirts of the city. They had to fight to get into position, uh, and I think that's a lot of what uh, a lot of what we've we've seen and will likely see um, in the near future. General Hodges, this is the heaviest bombardment that we've seen by far and uh, since October 7th. And I, I just want to be clear because the context here matters, right? It has been day in and day out of three to 400 aerial strikes a day for a month. And tonight is the biggest night yet. What do you think the next 24 hours is going to look like? Well, I think um, by encircling Gaza City, the uh, Israeli Defense Forces actually have created a situation where they have some some options. Uh, what U.S. forces did around Sadr City and Baghdad, yeah. and again around Kandahar, was to encircle and, and you try to separate uh, the terrorists from the innocent people. So this could actually create a situation where they could begin to try and uh, evacuate some people from Gaza City, which would obviously make the task uh, simpler for forces when they do have to go in. And with Secretary Blinken uh, arriving tomorrow, I think there's going to be huge pressure on the Israeli government to do some sort of a pause. Yeah. The Israelis will clearly want to have the city encircled before they have to actually pause. Right. And of course, there's incredible pressure, uh, new pressure from Biden tonight to, to that to do that very thing, as you point out, General Hodgers. General Votel, the military chief of staff from Israel, as I mentioned, says that IDF forces are now underground inside important Hamas facilities. Okay, so that's how they phrased it. Um, it seems pretty clear that means underground, obviously, in the tunnels in some capacity. Uh, when I say in some capacity, that could be a lot of different things, right? We have a map of the vast network of tunnels such that we even know um, it exists. IDF says it's previously destroyed already, some of them. 
So what do you think is actually happening right there, uh, General, in those tunnels, which are home to Hamas fighters, command centers, weapon stashes, and hostages? Well, I think what's I think what's happening right now is as as, uh, as the IDF closes in around Gaza City and, and moves through different parts of uh, Gaza, they're they're trying to get control of the entrances and exits uh, for these tunnel systems. Because if you can control that, you begin to uh, gain control over the movement of Hamas, and you begin to take away one of their critical uh, critical advantages, and that is the ability to shift fighters at will, to move and distribute supplies, and to conduct command and control down there. So while this is a very difficult uh, aspect of the fight, it's very critical for them to try to get control of the of the tunnels, and I suspect a lot of what we're seeing is, is in fact that. So, General Hodges, I want to ask you about uh, Secretary Blinken, because these images tonight are dramatic, and you point out that um, it, it, it's, not, it's not random that you're seeing a night like tonight right ahead of Secretary Blinken's next visit, because everyone knows that that visit in, in large part is a big push for the Israeli government to pause, to pause military operations in Gaza for humanitarian purposes. Obviously, uh, the U.S. has also been pushing such a pause as a way to release uh, hostages, although Israel said it wouldn't, wouldn't succeed in that, right? But that's part of it. So do you think that Israel will be forced to concede to that pressure? Well, look, the, uh, the Israeli government, you know, their, their objective here is to eventually end up in a situation where they can peacefully coexist with their neighbors. So what they're doing now has to contribute towards that end state much more than just destroy Hamas. And that means they're going to need support from the West, not just the United States, but other countries and Arab countries. So it's in Israel's interest actually to find a way to damage Hamas severely, but still be able to have support from Arab countries and the United States. So they can't be dismissive of the message that Secretary Blinken is bringing tomorrow. All right. And he's bringing it in person. Uh, Biden's uh, obviously made it, but bringing it in person uh, with the, the import that that carries. General Votel, General Hodges, thank you both very much. I appreciate your time. And our breaking news coverage continues on this uh, most intense evening of this war so far. Fears of a second war along Israel's northern border now intensifying because the leader of Hezbollah is expected to break his silence. He could alter the course of this war. Plus, I speak to American pediatrician Dr. Barbara Zind. Her harrowing journey out of Gaza, uh, as you know, her time there we've been following closely. She'll be reunited on camera with her husband tonight. And a tense showdown between the attorney general's lawyer and Trump's son, Eric, who says he knows nothing about financial statements that inflated the family's wealth. But that is not what the emails show. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with our breaking news. Just moments ago, a flares seen across the sky in Gaza, just as we were coming to air. We are right now witnessing in the midst of this, wherever you're watching, in Gaza, the biggest air assault for anyone who is there on that 25-mile strip since this war began on October 7th. And it comes as our CNN team in northern Israel is also now witnessing rocket fire from Iranian-backed forces in Lebanon into Israel. This is a pivotal moment. A crucial moment. The leader of Hezbollah, in fact, is about to speak for the first time since the war began. And what he says could change the trajectory of the war. Jim Shudo is out front on the ground. And Jim, what have you been seeing there today? Well, this whole past week and longer, we've seen an exchange of fire along this northern border, mostly artillery fire, mortar fire. Today, though, we saw the sky filled, rockets coming from Lebanon into, into northern Israel. And then we also saw Israeli missile defense high in the sky, taking out some of those rockets. Did not appear they got all of them. Israeli fighter jets higher up in the sky responding as well. Helicopters moving in both directions. Just a level of activity in the sky that shows the, the level of alarm today on the border as the attacks stepped up coming in from Hezbollah and southern Lebanon and fears of the opening of a new front. A rocket fired from southern Lebanon sets the street on fire in Kiryat Shimona. Today, northern Israel suffered under one of the biggest barrages of rockets since the start of the war. Our team witnessed the Iron Dome missile defense system intercept two incoming rockets, though at least one other caused substantial damage. In response, the Israeli military fired back at what it says is the culprit, Hezbollah in southern Lebanon. Hezbollah sits on a massive stockpile of rockets and missiles, far bigger than that of Hamas. Numbering more than 100,000, many have the range and accuracy to strike deep into Israeli territory, including all the way to Tel Aviv. And this is one sign of how seriously Israel is taking the Hezbollah threat. Today, we watched Israeli special forces and tank units conduct a live fire exercise, training to defend Israel in case of invasion from the north. These are combined arms exercises, Israeli special forces, IDF special forces here. There's also two tanks involved in this. It is live fire. It's a measure of the seriousness with which they're keeping their forces trained up, ready to go if necessary in the north. But also, given that we're within sight of Syria here and just a few miles from the Lebanon border, this is also a show of force to Iran's proxies in the region. A show of force, perhaps, to this man, 
Hassan Nasrallah, leader of Hezbollah. To his admirers in the Muslim world, he is a leader of the resistance, credited with forcing Israeli forces out of southern Lebanon in 2000 after an 18-year occupation. To Israel, he is an existential threat on its northern border. Tomorrow, he will address his followers and the world for the first time since the October 7th Hamas attacks. The question for many, will he order his forces to join the war against Israel more aggressively? They have the capacity to do enormous damage, uh, but I'm not certain that they really want to be on the receiving end of what Israel is going to send their way. The threat of escalation extends beyond Hezbollah. Yemen-based Houthi rebels, also backed by Iran, are firing long-range missiles at Israel from the southeast, another potential front in a war that would see Israel surrounded. As the world awaits the words of Hezbollah's leader, Nasrallah, Hezbollah fighters issued their own public letter earlier this week saying that their hands, their fingers are on the trigger. Israeli officials have had their own strong words communicating to Hezbollah via interlocutors in Europe that if Hezbollah gets into this war in numbers, that Israel will strike back deep into Lebanon. Strong words now. And now all eyes tomorrow on the words of the Hezbollah leader. Aaron. Very sobering. Jim, thank you very much. And more breaking news on this, because CNN is now learning that Syria has agreed to provide Hezbollah with a Russian-made missile defense system. And Oren Lieberman is out front at the Pentagon breaking this news. And Oren, uh, you are just getting these breaking details from your reporting. This obviously would be a very significant and very serious development. What more are you learning? Aaron, according to two sources familiar with the intelligence, Syrian President Bashar al-Assad has agreed to provide a Russian-made aerial defense system to Hezbollah. And it is the Russian mercenary group Wagner that will transfer that SA-22 or Pansir missile defense system from Syria to Lebanon where it could be set up to be used. Now, what's unclear from the intelligence, according to these sources, is whether the system has already been transferred. It is a medium-range air defense system and would add to Hezbollah's capabilities if and when it arrives in Lebanon. Now, the Israelis have dealt with this system in the past in Syria. Take a look at this video. This is from May 2018. This is video from from the IDF of them striking an SA-22 in Syria that was operated by Iran or being used by Iranian proxies there. So they have shown the capability to handle these systems and to strike them from the air. But of course now the situation is entirely different with Israel embroiled with a war in Gaza and the possibility that Hezbollah could enter this in a much more significant fashion. So it, even if Israel has dealt with an SA-22 before, certainly not under these circumstances. And that's what everyone here is watching very closely. According to other sources on the matter, so far the U.S. believes that Iran and its proxies don't want to get involved in a big way. But of course, as Jim pointed out, the speech from Hezbollah leader Hassan Nasrallah, everyone is watching that speech to see where this goes and what it means. It's also worth pointing out the common denominator here. Hezbollah, backed by Iran, Syrian President Bashar al-Assad, backed by Iran, and they have worked with Russia there, which has also backed Assad and provided that Wagner support. So you see the ties here linking all of these different groups, Aaron. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Oren Lieberman. And next, the American doctor, Barbara Zind, whose story we've all been following uh, in her own words. Of course, she was trapped in Gaza. 
She told us about 800 people sharing a toilet. She told you about the duress and distress there. So she is now out. What is it like there? What was it like as she left? She'll tell you. Plus breaking news, the House voting to tie billions in aid to Israel to spending cuts. And Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is sounding the alarm. Why? Our exclusive conversation coming up. Breaking news, you're looking at a massive new assault on northern Gaza tonight. The biggest bombardment since the war began aerially. Flares and rockets lighting up the sky. Explosions booming. Troops at this hour, Israeli troops surrounding the heart of Gaza City, according to the Israeli Defense Forces. This offensive, as some Americans are finally making it out of Gaza, and one of them is Dr. Barbara Zend, an American pediatrician. Uh, she arrived the day before the October 7th terror attacks to treat children in Gaza, uh, and that kept her trapped in Gaza then for 26 days. You've all been following her story closely uh, as, as viewers of this show, and tonight she is on her way home. She is on a plane as I speak, going to Colorado to see her family, and I was able to speak with her just as she was going to catch that flight. Out front now, Dr. Barbara Zind. And Dr. Zind, it is incredible to finally see you. I know you are literally on your way back home. I can only imagine the conflicted feelings you have about that and you're eager to be going home, but of course, leaving behind so much suffering. How do you feel right now? Well, just as you said, I feel mixed. I you know, am relieved to be on my way home. I know being there, I couldn't do anything to help what was going on. But also, um, yeah, just so sad for the people of Gaza and concerned about what's going to be going on in the next weeks to months to however long it takes to get some peace there. There is so much suffering. I know, Barbara, while you were there, it was so hard for you to get any contact. I mean, your husband, Paul, who we were speaking to every day, sometimes he got a text from you, sometimes he couldn't even, and, and he was obviously quite distressed. But... Um, you know, there were there were times he told us you were sleeping in a car with six other people. Uh, you had reported that food and water were in short supply. You'd seen people fighting over food outside uh, the compound where you were. And you talked about a toilet shared by 800 people, which just, just to imagine the thought of that, what that means for people, the duress. What more can you tell us about the conditions inside Gaza right now, Dr. Zend? Well, they, you know, it's, it's great that the aid is moving in, but there's so much more aid that's needed. It's so um, difficult. The camp next to us ran out of water and we were getting short on water. And at one point we only thought we had two more days of food left and we're able to, you know, have someone risk their lives and go to North Gaza and get some food for our group. And we were the fortunate ones. So really, um, People are just having trouble just getting food, finding food in the grocery stores and, and getting water. A friend of mine there today says he's drinking the tap water, which there is salty and, and not safe. 80% of the water there isn't safe. So it's concerning. It's concerning about the health and, like you said, toilet issues, that's sanitation, that's diarrhea and dysentery for those, especially the children there. And, you know, that's half of the population. Yes, and of course, the population to which you've dedicated your career and your, your life and your care. Well, Dr. Zinn, I mentioned your husband, Paul, and, and I just want to bring him into the conversation because he he was with us and, and everyone watching every day, sharing any update he had uh, from you throughout this entire ordeal. And Paul, I know you can see Barbara uh, literally on her way to come home to you. 
How does it feel to finally be in this moment, to see her, to know that she is safe, and to know that she's on her way home to you? Well, it's incredible. It was one of those uh, things where, you know, I, I knew it would happen, but it seemed like time was dragging on. And then at some points, um, it, I did get uh, pretty pessimistic, but otherwise, I'm, just, I'm very happy that she's on her way home. Dr. Zinn, I mean, I know, you know, you've, you have a, you can text, you can talk, but, but here in this moment, I mean, is there anything that you'd want to say to Paul uh, before you get on that plane? And obviously, uh, you'll be with him tomorrow night at this time. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think it's harder to be the people at home. I'm granted we had challenges here, but, but, you know, it's harder to be the people at home. And so I really, I, you know, appreciate all the love and support and Paul and our son Danny have given, given me. And, and I just felt so bad for them. Well, they, they had such incredible care for you. Dr. Zind, um, you mentioned your your conflicted feelings because of what you're leaving behind. You, this was not your first trip to Gaza. You'd been several times before to help children there. Do you think you'll go back? Um, I have to talk to Paul about that. I definitely want to come back and do continue to work with Palestinian children. And um, but we'll have to make that a family discussion, right? Paul. Yeah, we'll have uh, we'll have a, a vigorous discourse on that. Yes, <laughs> I can only imagine. I guess I'm glad that just kind of I guess eavesdropping on your conversation here it made us all smile in in such a moment of darkness and pain and everything that you have witnessed and endured, Doctor's End. Uh, my thoughts are with you, and please have a safe trip home. And we will all be so glad that, that the two of you will be reunited and, and your son as well. So thank you again. Thank you. Okay. See you later, sweetie. <laughs> okay, see you, sweetie. <laughs> and they, of course, will be seeing each other in just hours. The next, Trump's son, Eric, caught in a gotcha moment while testifying at his father's fraud trial. You'll see it. Plus the breaking news, the House just passing $14 billion in aid for Israel. But it's tied to spending cuts and actually adds to the deficit. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is my exclusive guest tonight. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Tonight... Caught red-handed, it was a dramatic day in the Trump fraud trial. Eric Trump testifying under oath that he had no knowledge of his father's financial statements that massively inflated Donald Trump and his company's net worth. Moments later, though, the prosecutor then showed emails proving otherwise. Bryn Gingrass is out front. Former President Donald Trump's two eldest sons in court with smiles and thumbs up for the cameras. 
Eric and Donald Trump Jr. testifying in New York in a civil fraud trial, accused, along with their father, of falsely inflating the value of properties like Trump's previously owned hotel in Washington, Trump Tower in Chicago, and their Miami resort by hundreds of millions of dollars. Before even having a day in court, I'm apparently guilty uh, of fraud for relying on my accountant to do, wait for it, accounting. The brothers, executive vice presidents at the Trump Organization, where they worked most of their adult lives, took over the company when Donald Trump was elected president in 2016. Don and Eric are going to be running the company. Donald Trump Jr. testifying he still believes the financial statements submitted in the case were, quote, materially correct, and quote, though Judge Arthur Engeron already ruled the valuations were false. Both brothers saying they did not prepare the financial statements for bank loans. I never worked on the statement of financial condition, Eric Trump said. I didn't know anything about it really until this case came into fruition. When pressed by prosecutors in a tense exchange, Eric acknowledged emails from a decade ago appeared to show he knew about those very financial statements. So you did know about your father's annual financial statement as of August 20, 2013, didn't you? The prosecutor asked. It appears that way, yes, Eric Trump said. Trump Jr. told the court he relied on accounting and legal teams to assure him the documents were correct when he signed them. I'm fine with the bank relying on that information, he testified. I don't know that I intended for them to do anything. I'm signing off on it. The banks in question made hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, think about this, right? They are not claiming that they are victims. They are not saying that they were misled. Trump Jr. said he didn't fact check the value of properties, including his father's apartment, which the attorney general alleges was described as more than three times larger in square feet than it actually is. The New York Attorney General says the fraud got the Trumps better loan and insurance policy terms. The evidence is clear, and that is he inflated his statements of financial interests to enrich himself and his family. It's a case former President Trump called fake and fully discredited. This trial is a disgrace. Should have never been brought. If the judge rules against the Trumps, they could be forced to pay back millions and lose their business license in the state. And court ended on another tense exchange, this one between the judge and Trump's defense lawyer, Christopher Kyes. The judge didn't like a comment Kyes made about the judge's clerk, even saying he'll extend that gag order that's against the former president to the entire defense team. Kyes defended himself and reiterated his concern about uh, this clerk's role in the trial. Now, listen, Eric Trump comes back on the stand tomorrow, and then possibly we see the former president under oath next week. Aaron. All right, Bryn, thank you very much. That clerk, of course, been a lightning rod in this case. And next, a billionaire investor attacking the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen for not taking advantage of low interest rates. It was the biggest blunder in the history of the Treasury. Secretary Yellen responds exclusively next. And Nikki Haley emerging as the alternative to Donald Trump. So what is her path to winning? The breaking news, the GOP-led House just passing a $14.3 billion aid to Israel bill, a bill that has no funding for the Ukraine war against Russia, and a bill that has $14.3 billion in IRS cuts. 
cuts that new Speaker Mike Johnson says offset the aid. Twelve Democrats joined most Republicans to pass it. The bill, of course, may go nowhere in the Senate, where Democrats and even some top Republicans want Ukraine aid included. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen spoke with us earlier, and I began by asking her whether the House bill is a non-starter. Absolutely. I think it's an irresponsible bill um, tying uh, support for Israel, um, lacking support for Ukraine, which are both vital national security interests, and then tying um, aid for Israel to what is really an irresponsible proposal to cut funding for our internal revenue service. Um, the only gainers from that are uh, ta wealthy tax cheats and corporations um, that will pay fewer taxes that they owe because the IRS will be deprived of $14 billion of um, money for tax enforcement. Uh, the Congressional Budget Office estimated that that loss of $14 billion would result in almost twice that, around $27 billion of reduced uh, tax revenues. So overall, uh, cutting funding for the Internal Revenue Service doesn't cut the deficit. It raises it substantially. Secretary, if you're forced, though, into a situation just through the political process where it's, say, getting aid to Israel in addition to some IRS cuts or other things you don't like or no aid for Israel at all, which would you choose? Well, the president has made clear that he would veto um, the bill in the House that ties aid for Israel to cuts in funding for the Internal Revenue Service. The Ukraine situation and Israel both have strong bipartisan backing, and um, it's critical that uh, we quickly provide both those forms of aid. Um, with respect to Ukraine, um, we have a country that is fighting hard to preserve its uh, democracy after a brutal attack by Russia. This is not something that is uh, our funding only good for Ukraine. It's in our own national security interest, because if we don't stand up when Russia attacks Ukraine, we don't know what countries might be next. Secretary Yellen, we live in uncertain times and very frightening times, and these wars are obviously both part of that. I mean, in the Israeli war against Hamas, I know this matters to you as an American, but also on a personal level— You've talked about your father's family coming to the U.S. from a small town in Poland, and you've talked about how much of that town was destroyed in the Holocaust. Uh, nearly the entire Jewish population was deported or murdered. And, Secretary, I know that included your own family. And now we're seeing a disturbing rise in anti-Semitism around the world and in the United States, a 400 percent rise in anti-Semitic incidents reported by the Anti-Defamation League. And that's just since the terror attacks on October 7th. I mean— Secretary, are you taken aback by this? How troubled are you by this? Uh, I'm very troubled by this. Um, I was um, appalled by the brutal attacks by Hamas uh, on Israel and feel that Israel um, deserves our unqualified support. But it's critically important also to attempt to minimize 
casualties of civilians in Gaza, and um, I'm very supportive of efforts to, um, as President Biden is, to bring humanitarian relief uh, to Gazans so that we don't see needless tragedy there as well. Secretary, I do want to ask you also about some other comments, which you may well have seen uh, just the other day from the billionaire investor Stanley uh, Druckenmiller. He, he was speaking on a panel and he was talking about what he sees as the Treasury Department's failure to lock in low interest rates. And he was saying virtually all Americans went and refinanced, locking in low mortgage rates. Companies went out and borrowed money to take advantage of the incredibly low interest rates. He says, he says everybody did it, except for the Treasury Department. He puts this on you personally. Here's what he said. Janet Yellen, I guess because political myopia, whatever, um, was issuing two years of 15 basis points when she could have issued 10 years of 70 basis points or 30 years at 180 basis points. I literally think if you go back to Alexander Hamilton, it was the biggest blunder in the history of the Treasury. And I have no idea why she has not been called out on this. She has no right to still be in that job. Well, Secretary, I wanted to give you a chance to respond to what Stanley Druckenmiller said. Well, I disagree with that assessment. Um, We have been lengthening the maturity the average maturity of the portfolio. And in fact, at present, um, the duration of the portfolio is about the longest it it has been in decades. We have found in regular discussions with Wall Street professionals, having regular and predictable issuance of maturities across the spectrum, both long, intermediate, and short, is critical to having deep and liquid markets uh, for U.S. Treasuries, which is critical to lowering our costs over time. And that is exactly what we've been doing. All right. And that's your response tonight. And Secretary Yellen, we very much appreciate your time tonight. And thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And next, Nikki Haley rising. She says she still has more plans to try to defeat Trump. We'll see next. Tonight, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley gaining steam among some voters and setting herself up as the Trump alternative. The thing is, the question exists. Could she become a real threat to him or not? Jeff Zeleny is out front. Nikki Haley is having a moment in the Republican presidential race. Who has decided who they're going to be with? The question is whether she can turn it into a winning one. That's precisely what Haley was trying to do today in New Hampshire, working to solidify herself as the leading alternative to Donald Trump. Handshake by handshake, table by table, the former South Carolina governor is making her case in increasingly urgent terms. We're right there, so it's just about getting as much support as we can. We have a country to save. We have a country to save. With the former president still dominating the Republican primary, Haley is focused, for now, on the race for second place, rising through the ranks in the narrow lane of anyone but Trump. She has settled into a solid second in South Carolina. 
is battling for runner-up in New Hampshire and is locked in a tie in Iowa with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis polls show, with Trump holding a commanding lead in all three early voting states. Her numbers are moving, surging. There is I, I, One thing I know about uh, politics is there is such thing as political momentum. I think she's built a lot of political momentum coming out of the first and second debate. New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu is keeping a close eye on Haley as he decides which Republican to endorse. The third debate next week, he believes, could be a turning point. Haley and DeSantis are on a collision course, a preview of which has been playing out in dueling ads from their respective super PACs. Governor Nikki Haley helped the Chinese company set up shop five miles from our base. On land, she gave them. Ron DeSantis, he's lying because he's losing. Heidi Mahoney is a Republican ready for change. She considered DeSantis, but is sold on Haley. I think she's, she's tough. I think we need that. I think we need her strength. Mahoney concedes it's an uphill battle persuading Republicans to move beyond Trump, but she says Haley has the best chance to win back the White House. Haley is campaigning with an air of confidence, eager to weigh in last night on The Daily Show about whether DeSantis wears lifts in his cowboy boots. I've always said don't wear them if you can't run in them, so we'll see if he can run in them. Yet she strikes a dead serious tone on foreign policy challenges like Israel and Ukraine. When you look, there's an unholy alliance. It's Iran, Russia, and China. And let me tell you, I've never been as worried as I am today that America is acting like it's September 10th all over again. And we better remember what September 12th felt like. Because we're there. She's embracing the momentum, but told us her defining moment is yet to come. My moment will be on Election Day. And Aaron, Governor Haley is just shaking hands here, finishing an hour-long town hall in New Hampshire. But the bottom line is this race for second place is simply a consolation prize. Unless Haley or whoever emerges can start eroding some support from Trump, who has a commanding lead in this race. Aaron. All right, Jeff, thank you very much. And thanks to all of you for being with us. AC360 starts now. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 